0: mm <laughs>
1: Welcome to worship. It's good to see you. Good to be with you. Uh, before we get started, let me go through a few announcements. And there, you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, there are quite a few announcements. So I'm not going to cover all of these, but I encourage you to read through them. Uh, the first is that our missions committee is meeting today at 4 p.m. If you're part of that committee, please be there for that if you're able. And if you would like to be on the missions committee, uh, you can talk to Dr. Suttle, uh, he is the chair of that committee. And you can just come to the meeting today if you're interested in that. That will be a great time. Uh, Secondly, the youth are meeting tonight right after the evening worship service in the youth room. In the youth room. So that means uh, the the family life building is still undergoing repairs, but the youth room is safe to use right now. So we'll be going straight upstairs there for that. Lastly... You'll notice there's information about the cherub and primary choirs. If your children are uh, would like to be a part of that, practicing has begun at 5:15, and the locations are in your bulletin. 5:15 on Wednesdays, and if uh, if you have questions about that, you can come talk to me, and I'll point you in the right direction. Uh, that's all we have for announcements. Uh, God has uh, been gracious to us, and He has led us here to worship Him. So take a few moments. Uh, to prepare yourself, uh, to prepare your hearts and your minds uh, to worship God this morning. Let's do that now.
2: Us worship God this morning as we sing. <clears throat> <clears throat> You are the holy God. You are the one who has made this marvelous day. You woke the sun this morning and brought it forth. This day, Lord, you have given us the desire to come and to worship you. But, O oh Lord, we have not revered you, our holy God, as we should. We have not crucified the flesh and its passions. And its desires. Lord, we have not shown the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self control that we should have. Lord, you sought us out. You have sent forth your word. You have, by your Holy Spirit, awakened our hearts. And today, We come to worship you. Oh Lord, be with us today as we bring our songs, our prayers, and we hear your word preached to us. Open our hearts to receive, bless our worship as we glorify you. And now, as we repeat the prayer that your Lord, our Lord, taught us to pray, our Father, who art in heaven.
1: If you all would stand for our confession, sorry Dr. Slow, would you all stand? We'll keep going through and do our confession. Uh, In the bulletin you'll find the Apostles' Creed, and we use this to confess our faith together. So I'll ask you, Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He is descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. (laughs) Well, as we go through this Apostles' Creed each Sunday, uh, we take a part of it, and we look at it just briefly before we go into a time of prayer And we see in our confession where it says how Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. We confess that Jesus suffered at the hands of other people. That he, uh, the reason why the Son of God became man was to shed his blood. As one person says, a full, perfect, and sufficient sacrifice and satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. And when we read in Romans, where it says, God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Now, this is the love of God for you and for me, that Jesus would suffer unjustly for sinners. And we can take time in prayer, just a moment in prayer, uh, to worship this God who loves us so much that he would send his only son to die for us. Take your, your needs, take your worries, whatever it might be. Go to God in prayer for a few moments and in silent and individual prayer. And then I'll lead us in a corporate prayer. Let's pray together. Lord God, we pray, and we pray the words that we read in your word, in which it says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And Lord God, in these two verses, we have enough truth to worship you for all time, and The story and reality of your love is that you love people who don't love you. You sent your son to be the propitiation, which is to be a sacrifice to take away the sins of the world like an unblemished lamb offered on the altar whose blood would turn away the wrath of God against our sin. Lord, that's the most wonderful news that we could never even dream of, and yet it's true. Dear Father, you have loved us this way, and we know we also ought to love one another, not just the people we like or get along with, but the people who dislike us, who we might even dislike, the people who hate us, and those who hate you. Lord, we fall far short of this, and we make excuses on excuses for why we don't love others as we ought to. And so we pray, Lord, forgive us of our many sins of not loving others as you have loved us. We pray you would teach us the ways of your Son, Jesus, in your Word, by the power of your Spirit, to love as you have loved us. And in this truth, we pray for our city. We pray for the youth of Louisville, for the ongoing violence, for our families that are hurting and broken. Lord, have mercy and bring healing. Bring restoration and bring peace to our broken families. We pray that you would bring hope and purpose to our youth, that you would give them examples, both young and old, to follow in and learn from. God, we pray for the upcoming gathering on Wednesday morning. We pray it would spur this town on to radical acts of neighbor love, and real hope in you. Lord, we pray you would help us not to be cynical or to give up hope, because you are the God of hope. You can do anything, and you love to care for the brokenhearted, the scared, and the needy. Dear Father, our church body has many needs. Many of us are silently hurting and silently suffering, but you know our needs, and we pray you would help us bring our needs to light with other members of this church so that we can carry each other's burdens, so that we could encourage each other and spur one another on to love and to good works. We pray you would do these things, God. We pray you would continue to lead us by your Spirit's power in this time of worship. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Please pray with me. God, as we're about to read in the Gospel of Mark, you you can take a small amount of things and and multiply them for your glory um, out of your compassionate heart. So would you take our tithes and offerings and multiply them for the work of your kingdom and use it in ways that we could uh, be surprised by, by how you are able to do so much uh, with so little. So, God, we thank you for this opportunity to give, and we dedicate our tithes and offerings to you this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would remain standing, we'll continue worshiping together with hymn 529, which is love divine, all loves excelling. Let's sing hymn 529. You may be seated I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6 Mark chapter 6 starting at verse 30 Before we read, let me pray for us. God, even as we read your word, would you speak clearly to us? Would you encourage our hearts? Would you challenge us as we read and study your word? Lord, you are good to us in this way, and we pray you would continue to bless us by your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's read Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 30. And he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them To the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And it's the only miracle recorded in every gospel, in each of the four gospels. So clearly, God would like us to remember and to think upon this story of Jesus' miraculous feeding of 5,000. Jesus uses his miracles to teach us about himself, to teach us about the heart of God. And here in this miracle, we learn more about the heart of God, and he teaches us about how God even works in the world through his people, and he uses it to teach us about our true hunger. So we're going to look at three points as we go through this passage, and the first is the compassion of the king, and then we'll look at the instruments of the king, and finally the feast of the king. Let's look at the compassion of the king. Before Jesus uses his apostles to, to feed the 5,000, and we glimpse the heart of Jesus. Read with me again in verse 33. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus had sent his apostles out two by two to do miraculous works of God, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to preach the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of repentance and faith in Christ. And now they're back together and they are exhausted. So Jesus says to come away to a desolate place so they can get some rest. But before they can get there, There's at least 5,000 people waiting for them. They see that they're going where they're going, and they get there ahead of them. Maybe you've had a day like this, um, where so much has happened. Maybe so much has gone wrong. Maybe you got into a, a fender bender. Maybe work was piling up more than you can handle, and at the end of the day, you pour yourself a nice cold drink. You turn on some music. And right as you sit on the couch, someone calls you and asks for your help, or your child breaks a lamp, or any number of things, where just as you're about to sit down and rest from your exhaustion, something more comes up. And it's at these moments when I think surely even Jesus would lose his temper at this point, right? Like even Jesus couldn't handle this level of exhaustion and still be loving. Can we just get a second to rest? I have the feeling the apostles felt a little bit like this. Hungry, exhausted, looking forward to some rest. And if you look at the verse again, it's not the apostles who have compassion, it's Jesus. It says, He saw the crowds, he had compassion. Maybe the apostles were feeling something else at this moment, but where our our compassion dries up, there is an endless supply of compassion in Jesus because Jesus' heart is compassion. There is a now-famous book, you could say it's famous, but it's very popular, called Gentle and Lowly from Dane Orland, and he says this, about Jesus' heart early on in the book. He says, What we see Jesus claim in the words, he had compassion on them. We see him prove with his actions time and again in all four Gospels. What Jesus is, he does. He cannot act any other way. His life proves his heart. So we see just in this brief verse That Jesus cares about people. That is his heart. He has a heart of compassion. And we've read this, we've heard this before, but Dane Orland will go on to explain how this word for compassion means literally, uh, it refers literally to the bowels or guts of a person. It's an ancient way of referring to what rises up from one's innermost core. So, this compassion reflects the deepest heart of Christ, Ortland would say. Our Messiah and Savior, the God of the universe, has a heart of compassion. He is compassionate to his core. And that's good news right now. Because when our compassion ends, and it ends pretty quickly. Jesus' compassion goes on forever. And God is at work in the sanctification process of his spirit, helping his people grow in this aspect of love and compassion. And often this means that God will lead his people to a place where we say honestly, I have no compassion or love left. God, I'm not feeling compassionate right now. And we would pray, forgive me, help me, God, help me to be compassionate. I'm exhausted. And then God would lead us to say, Thank you, God, for being compassionate towards me, a sinner. Thank you for showing me compassion. So Jesus' compassion for the people who were lost without a shepherd, and this passage alludes so many times to Psalm 23. Jesus has compassion on these people, but it carries forward into action. And what is great about this story is that in God's compassion, in Jesus' compassion, he uses people to be the instruments of his compassion. So let's look at the instruments of the king, King Jesus. Look at verse 35 with me. And When it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. And the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. It's at this moment the apostles are asked by Jesus, to give the people something to eat. And they almost mock him by joking that they'll need almost a year's wage, a year's worth of wages to feed this amount of people. So he instructs them to go and gather the few pieces that they have, and he'll multiply them for 5,000 and more people. And the key is that Jesus acts through his apostles. They become instruments of God's compassionate purposes in the world. These men don't have what they need in themselves. But in Jesus, they have more than enough. Jesus' apostles are focused on their circumstances. They're focused on what they have and they don't have. But now Jesus is, is inviting them not to look at their circumstances or what they have, but to look at himself, to look to Jesus. God uses his people today, his church, as instruments of his compassion and his grace. We have limitations. We have difficult situations. We have difficult relationships. We have suffering. And we think it needs to be changed before we can start to do good or to follow God well. But Jesus is saying, if you look at me, I will give you everything that you need to work through you. A pastor, Kent Hughes, said that it's easy to give our strengths to God, but God delights in using our ordinary selves to do extraordinary things. God delights to use our ordinary selves to do extraordinary things. So God loves to make his people instruments of his compassion. So he uses your ordinary words, your ordinary phone calls, your ordinary casserole dishes to show his compassionate heart to others, to even multiply what you think is something simple, but to multiply it for his good purposes and his glory. He takes what little we have, even our suffering, and he uses it for his glory. He multiplies it. In Second uh, Corinthians chapter 1, we read this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so Jesus uses his people and he says, don't look at what little you have, look to me. So will you offer your ordinary life to God? Because he will use it and multiply it for his purposes and for his good, for our benefit. Will you offer your suffering, your difficult relationships, your difficult circumstances, whatever it might be, offer it to Jesus? Because Jesus loves to use ordinary people who don't have what they need, To depend on him. And so his glory takes center stage. So, as we see, we see the compassionate heart of God in Christ. We see how he uses his people as instruments of his compassion. And now he leads us to the feast of the king. Look at verse 41. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Again, Jesus takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies it for thousands of people. He can do this. He loves to make a lot out of a little. I was talking about this passage with someone uh, who I didn't get permission to refer to but because I didn't ask. Um, but we were talking about this passage about what it means to be satisfied in Jesus. I like to, when I look at a passage, I want to know what is it really, what can I really connect to my life about god 's Word what, what connects to my experience of life in Christ? This person said, "I want to be made holy, I want to be sanctified, I want to be satisfied in Christ, but what I really want to what I really want is to eat i don 't want to be hungry right now I just want to be essentially happy right now and I think that 's what Jesus is encouraging us to look at. Because we'll see, with this crowd, being fed miraculous bread and fish satisfied over 5,000 people for a time, for a few hours. They'd be hungry again. Jesus raised Lazarus. He raised the little girl who we read about a few weeks ago. But they would die again. Jesus healed the sick over and over, but they would get sick again. So what Jesus is really teaching us here is that when we believe in him and come to him, one day we will never be unsatisfied. We read Jesus' words in John chapter 6, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The human condition, as you all well know, is to be constantly unsatisfied. And we meet those dissatisfactions with momentary satisfaction. All of us are searching for things in this life to satisfy us. Usually it's food, it's clothing, whatever it might be. But experience has taught us well that when our situation changes to our liking, it's only a matter of time before we become unsatisfied, before things change for the worse. Jesus is doing something deeper with his people and with you and with me. He uses our discontentment and dissatisfaction to lead his people to himself. We read in our passage how Jesus, looking up into heaven, blessing and breaking the bread, Jesus is pointing us forward to the final supper where he will he'll institute the Lord's table, where he breaks the bread and gives out the cup. He would give his body to be broken for you. He would spill his blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And we see how Christ would empty himself so that we would be satisfied in him. In Philippians 2, we read that Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on the full wrath of God for the sins of the world. He drank the cup of wrath for us. Isaiah 51 says, Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath. You shall drink no more. We won't drink from this cup of wrath because Jesus drank it for us. He took the punishment and judgment of the world's sin against the holy God upon himself so that we could be satisfied in him, so that sinners would know what it is to be filled with the fullness of God, as Pastor Heath shared with us last week, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So what does it mean to be satisfied in Jesus? If this is all true, what does it mean for me and you? I read a quote from a famous Christian teacher named Joyce Meyer. Some of you may know this woman a lot better than I do. But she says this, God cares about everything about you and everything that concerns you. He wants to be good to you, and he will never disappoint you. Give him all of your heart and put all of your hope and expectation in him, you can have true contentment and satisfaction in Christ. You can have, she says, true contentment and satisfaction in Christ. This all, in, on the one hand, is all true. But on the other hand, it's very misleading. She leads us to think that we ought to and can have true abiding contentment in this life, in Christ. Many of us are here this morning wondering why we feel so dissatisfied, so discontent even. We may begin to think that something is wrong with us, that we don't love Jesus enough, or that our faith is not strong enough, that we're too weak in our faith. We need to believe more. And we think our discontentment is a problem of our own making, that we can fix it if we just read our Bibles more or pray more. We know nothing in this world will will satisfy us, and yet we search endlessly for that next thing that will satisfy us, even for a moment. What Jesus teaches us is that to be hungry, to be searching for satisfaction, is actually exactly what we ought to be doing, how we ought to be feeling. Paul Tripp said in his book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands, he said, we forget that God's primary goal is not changing our situations or relationships so that we can be happy, but changing us through our situations and relationships so that we will be holy. So that we will be holy. So God is using our, I keep saying dissatisfaction. I don't know if that's a real word, but I think you all know what I'm saying. God uses that to drive us to himself. There is a book called Blessed Are the Unsatisfied. And the author said, When we grow deeper in faith and closer to Jesus, we're likely to find ourselves less, not more, satisfied with life here and now. She says we're likely to be less satisfied, less content with life here and now. Like Jesus, she goes on to say, we should be uncomfortable here. We should be unsatisfied by what we experience in this life. We were made for another world, and God wants his people to long for it. And so we know when we study God's word that one day we will never be hungry We will never hunger and thirst. One day we'll know what it truly means to be filled with the fullness of God, the love of Christ that goes beyond our comprehension. But until that day, we will hunger and thirst. We'll search for satisfaction. And Jesus is inviting us not to be satisfied in a meal or what will satisfy for a moment but to go to him to be satisfied in him, to bring our discontent to him. This world is not enough. It wasn't enough for Jesus. And as we long for the day to be with Jesus, he feeds us here and now. Jesus is feeding us here and now. He strengthens us for the journey by his Spirit through what we call the ordinary means of grace, through the Lord's table, through his word, through prayer. We can't be satisfied fully in this life, but we aren't called to be fully satisfied with this life. In Ephesians 1, it says, In Christ, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so we have the Spirit when you come to Christ in faith. He gives us his Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a deposit, as a guarantee of our future inheritance where we will never be unsatisfied. We will be forever satisfied in the presence of our Savior. And so you take, rather than beating yourself up about it, take your discontent to the Lord. Take your hunger to the Lord. Don't stop yourself by saying, I shouldn't be discontent. Use it. See what God is doing through your discontent. What is he teaching you about himself? Tell him you're hungry and you don't know why or what for. He calls you to drink from his word, to drink from the promises in his word. We were brought into this world because of sin. We, being born in sin, we have an eternal longing, a hunger that will not be satisfied unless it is in Christ. And So we see that our faith is enough, that Jesus is enough, that there's nothing wrong with you or me, that you don't need to believe more strongly. You just need to be with Jesus. If I summed up this passage, I would say that instead of waiting for God to change your circumstances, to instead offer your ordinary life to God, to offer him your discontent, your ordinary personality, your ordinary gifts and abilities, your limited gifts and abilities, and let him use you as an instrument for his kingdom work, for his compassion in the world. And as you hunger this morning for food, feed on your Savior, Jesus, the bread of life who came from heaven and sought you to be broken in your place, who has compassion for you because he knows this world is not enough. When you come to Christ, you will never be turned away. You will be filled. And one day, you will be fully satisfied in him. Let's pray. God, in this story, we see how you not just meet the physical needs of people in need, but you meet the spiritual needs as well. God, your word is incredible. There's so much to understand, so many layers. But we are so thankful that you teach us these spiritual truths about who you are, about your heart for people, for your people. We pray, God, that as we bring ourselves to you, that we would trust our life to you, that you would use us and multiply us for your glory and for our good, and that you would encourage us, even as we are not satisfied in this life, for reasons we may not even know, would you, lead, would you use those times and seasons of unsatisfaction to lead us straight to you, to find satisfaction in you. God, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand for our last hymn. We respond to God's grace with hymn 384. Lord, dismiss us with your blessing. Let's stand and sing hymn 384. Receive God's blessing as you go and respond in faith with your amen. Peace be to you and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen.